Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, my friend, to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest is high-stakes cash game crusher, YouTube vlogger, and fellow poker podcaster, Marley Cordero. It's always refreshing when I'm reminded of some undeniable truths that exist in the world. One of those is that you simply cannot be courageous without being afraid. And I guarantee that anyone who has put themselves out there in a vulnerable and significant way has felt a massive amount of fear. But the ones who emerge from the other side after dealing with hateful comments and the vicious barrage of the denizens of the internet are made of iron. Marley is one such human, and I know that you're going to come away from this conversation feeling the exact same way. In today's episode, you'll learn how Marley was exposed to the real world of poker from an early age, why getting shown tough love by her first backer was an absolute boon for her poker career, why she believes having tough conversations to hash out our differences is vastly superior to Twitter wars, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you the indomitable Marley Cordero. Marley, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. You are about as hot as I am right now, huh? In the, the yeah. UK. I am. They don't really believe in air conditioning here, which I did not know before I came or I wouldn't have come. Why, <laughs> why don't they believe in air conditioning? Why is this a thing? Because it seems patently absurd to me. Because I think it's just not hot enough of the time to warrant it. Um, it rains a lot, but the, the days that it does get hot, it is only probably a few weeks of the year, but those weeks really kill you. <laughs> is it limited to households? Like, does Starbucks have AC to do restaurants? Um, Starbucks, yeah. There'll be like some major stores and stuff will have it for sure, but yeah. not really households, yeah. Luckily, luckily, you can't go do that during the pandemic, so. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, no options. Um, <laughs> typically, starting out the show, the first question is to talk about your journey. How, what's the story of you getting involved playing cards? My dad played full-time for a while when I was growing up. Uh, I lived in Vegas briefly. I went to uh, freshman year of high school in Vegas. My dad was playing live. Um, and what, year was, what year was your dad playing live? Um, I was, God, like this was like 15 years ago. So 2005. Okay. About 2004, five, six. Yeah. So not, um, not that long ago, relatively speaking. Not that long ago. And he mostly played limit at Bellagio and, uh, some tournaments and stuff, but he was a limit player. Right. Um, but mostly, but, um, he ended up going broke, um, and we had to move back home to Massachusetts, Boston, and we moved in with my grandparents and it was during the recession too. So he had like an amazing corporate job before that, he worked for Bose. 
and was crushing, but then obviously like he couldn't get a job. He had this big gap in his resume. And when you're looking for jobs like that, it's kind of like bad. Um, but, uh, he eventually built, you know, got a, he actually got a, jo- a job uh, driving airport limos for a while because that's something he could do. And then like just slowly grinded it back. And now he's like crushing it again, consulting for a bunch of companies. He does SEO stuff. But, you know, obviously my dad also is a single dad. So during that time, you know, he was, he took a very like friendship role with me. Um, we talked, you know, we talked about hands when you come home from work, whatever. And so it's always been like kind of in my mind, but because I, I did see him go broke and I did see how tough it can be. I never really went into poker, um, with this delusion, not delusion, but like this idea that a lot of people I think have is, you know, it's just a smooth sailing kind of dream. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't really ever my dream or goal to play full time. I ended up going to, I was, a, I did a lot of modeling in high school in Boston. And then I got an agency in New York. I went to college in New York and did some bunch and ended up doing a lot of acting stuff. And I kind of wanted to go down that path. Um, but when I turned 21, I did, my dad was in Vegas. I mean, I would come for the world series when I turned 21 and we'd play some tournaments and we'd hang out. It was always like a bonding thing for me and my dad. And, uh, and when I, I had been in New York for about six years and I went through a really shitty time in the same week, my mom passed away and my boyfriend, and I broke up and my boyfriend, I've been with forever. So I was just kind of lost. I was 22 and I kind of was going back and forth for a while between New York and Vegas, just kind of adrift, you know, not in a good place, not in a good place. And I ended up moving out to Vegas and still, I just kind of, you know, I played for fun, but like I got a job as a waitress and got some roommates and just, but actually, so I, I had made friends because I played poker in Vegas a lot. What so year made, was this uh, for the timeline? Um, this is, uh, I've been, this was six years ago. Okay. So 2014. Yeah. About seven, six, seven years ago. Uh, maybe seven um, when I first came out. Um, and so I lived with these British poker players. Um, and I, But I was a waitress. I just like had a job. But I would like, play for fun, whatever. And then... Slowly but surely, I, I met my ex-boyfriend um, who played full-time. All of his friends pulled, played full-time. And I guess, like, I kind of got more and more kind of pulled into it, I want to say. And not that I, I – I love poker, and I've always loved poker, but it was never like, yeah, and then I'm going to, like – I can't wait till I can just do this full-time. So, anyways, I ended up dating him. And because I was surrounded by so many amazing poker minds at that time, it just came to this – place where I was like, oh, I'm just, and I, obviously I, I would have been at my job for two years, just waiting tables. And I was like, you know what, this is kind of going nowhere. I need to just stop. I need to maybe just like dive in. And so I did. And that was, <clears throat> that was four years ago. So I have a uh, many questions, many questions. Um, firstly, you know, when your dad went broke and you had to move back, mm-hmm. um, how traumatic was that for you? And did your dad like have any negative feelings towards the game of poker after that happened? Because, you know, people go broke for a variety of reasons, not necessarily just because they punt off their bankroll or play bad or whatever. Like life has this tendency of like happening. I mean, poker players have expenses that everybody else has as well. So Mm -hmm. how, how did that process kind of play out? Yeah. I mean, for him, it was like, he was pretty much set up to fail because not only was he a single dad, he didn't have any, like, 
I, I just see now how hard it is to make it in poker when you have everything going for you. If you have friends that will stake you, if you have friends that will loan you money, coach you, you know, bounce hand histories off. And then you have, you have to have low overhead in the beginning, especially like he put me in the best school. We lived in a nice area. We had a nice place. I was a single dad and he had nobody and had no friends helping. He just was self-taught and just was like, I'm doing it on my own. So it's like, it's kind of a recipe for failure, frankly. And, and I don't think even, you know, the best poker minds would have been able to survive in that, cl- in that sense. Cause poker is just so hard. You, you need something going for you, it, it, especially in those early days, you need like a, f- you need somebody who's like a mentor, who's willing to coach you or something. Um, and if you don't have that, plus you have really high overhead and responsibility, it's just tough. And, and it was traumatic. It was hard, but he was, he never really let it show. And he always like made it about me at that time. I was kind of in this transition period myself. I'd always, my dad's like a musician too. And I always been really into piano. And at that time I was, I don't want to play piano anymore. I want to do something else. And I really wanted to model. And he got me my first agent in Boston and he would go on every shoot with me, every casting and he was unemployed. So he like really kind of like invested himself into me. And it was really, it was really inspiring because like he, it was at his lowest point. He was living with his parents, you know, we had no money, no car. And uh, he would like, borrow cars to like take me into the city and like, you know, whatever. And I started making all this money modeling and he was, had no money. So I had more money than him. And, and he, I mean, I kept it all, but yeah, it was, it was really, it was a really, I don't know, challenging period, but it was really like one of the best times in my life because it just, it just showed me kind of how poker can really be, I guess. How does it make you feel now, you know, as an adult, the sacrifices that your dad made so that, you know, you could, still have a great life and still have these experiences how does it make you feel great no great I mean with honestly like he he really always put me first and I appreciate it more that I'm in poker because I can't imagine we all know what it's like to be on downswing and to go to like have these low rock bottom moments and then imagine having to be a single parent it's just unbelievable and and to have to you know do that alone and and so yeah, I mean, it makes me feel insanely grateful. And uh, I, and that's why I really appreciate all the things I have going for me in poker. You know, I have so many advantages, you know. For sure. It's, if you're in a family where you're the sole breadwinner and your yeah. income is poker, it is a hard existence. It is mm-hmm. stressful. Everything depends on you. When you're on a downswing, you feel like you're letting your family down. And that's just so much pressure that it's hard for anybody to really overcome it. And really to have a successful poker career, what one of the most necessary things is to have a separate bankroll that you don't have to pull out of that can grow on its own, which typically means like a multi-income home, right? Like you need two incomes in a home to cover the bills so that you know you can grow the bankroll so that you can start playing a stake where basically you make more than just survival money. Like that's when things really start to grow. Like if you can start playing like 10, 20, no limit regularly or 25, 50 and your bankroll is at like three or 400,000, you're just going to build it up to a million. If you never take anything out over time, it's just going to happen. But you start having like $10,000 in expenses every month or $15,000 in expenses. It's hell. 
it, it's so much pressure compounded on the actual pressure of like, you know, performing and winning at this game that, uh, yeah, it's too much. And I could certainly see that. Yeah. He's set up for failure. There's no, what other outcome is there really? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, just, I don't know anybody who hasn't gone broke at some point. So you need those, you need, you need that support system. Absolutely. And like you said, like having a mentor, who have you found in your career? Who's, who's been a mentor to you that you attribute to, you know, helping you grow and just be a, a stronger, more resilient, better human and better poker player? I was met a couple. The first person, arguably the most important person in my poker career was somebody called Josh Atkinson. And when I first quit my job, he, <laughs> somebody called Josh Atkinson. Because, well, like, I don't think that, like, I don't think he's he's a Vegas cash game grinder. I don't know if, like, many people, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's just funny. Yeah, that's his name. Somebody called. Yeah, <laughs> it weird. Um, but he's he's the salt of the earth, and he was uh, when I first quit my job. He's my ex boyfriend's good friend, and he was like, "Okay, I'll stake you," but like you're going to have to like do things my way. And he was so hard on me, not like in a mean way, but like, you know, he was like, like I would write down every single hand I played. We, I would, we just talk everyday hands all the time. And uh, I was going to say, he made me, he was like, Oh, you can't move up until you make 10 big blinds an hour over the sample size and you can move up. And I remember like, just, I remember I was just playing like one, two when I wanted to play one, three. And then I wanted to play one, three at the win, which is a bigger, uh, buy-in and I just like every like step was like was like so hard for me but he was like you know you have unless you're making 10 big blinds an hour after the sample size you're not moving up and he was just and that kind of I don't I think that, there, there aren't that many regs who have that early on I feel like most people are a lot a lot of regs they just jump in or they have a tournament score or whatever and they just kind of like they learn later on yeah later on oh so, i Big a tournament for 50k and now I'm a 510 grinder after like never playing cash game, right? Yeah. I have a few questions. Number one is a quote that immediately came to mind from the last dance and I'm probably going to butcher it because my memory is awful. But basically the quote was the, the most respectful thing you can do when coaching a good player is to coach them hard. Like in my mind, hold people accountable, coach them hard because it's the barrier to entry, right? Like somebody that just blows smoke up your ass and tells you you're doing great when you're not doing great or to take chances when you're not ready to take those chances is doing you a disservice as somebody who's helping you on your poker journey. Like you need somebody to have that tough love. And yeah. secondly, why do you think you found yourself sort of uh, drawn to poker players? Like, when you moved to Vegas, you know, your roommates were poker players. Your dad's a poker player. There are more people in Vegas besides poker players, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> why, why did you gravitate towards them? Well, I think in Vegas, frankly, I like Vegas, but there's a lot of fucked up people in Vegas. And I honestly would say that poker players, in my experience, are some of the most together people in Vegas. I briefly lived with a girl in New York City, it's very common to go on Craigslist and find roommates. So I met this girl through Craigslist, but like I had met her and hung out with her. She seemed normal and she ended up being like insane. Just like, she wasn't in poker at all. Single and, white and, female situation. Yeah. 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 Just like, but ugh, I don't want to get into it, but, <laughs> but I've just found that like poker players in Las Vegas, like they just have their shit together. They have to be, 
if they have to be good with money, they have to be able to pay their rent. They have to, if they're not, they've been, they're, they gone broke a long time ago. Exactly. So yeah. It's just, yeah, it's good. Basically in order to make it like in this world, if you can make it, if you can have a name and thrive over an extended period of time, you mostly have to have your shit together. You either have to have your shit together or you have to have like rich parents or something. I don't know what the alternative is, but um, to be a grinder, like we said already, it's very, very tough. So this person called Josh Atkinson who <laughs> is helping you navigate your poker journey. What came next after you know he's staking you, you're building your bankroll, you're moving up stakes. What was next in your progression? So... There was like five or six months where I like really couldn't win. I was winning a little bit. And then I, I just like something like clicked in me. I had this, I had this fight with my ex was like struggling. My ex was staked by him as well. And he, and we we're both struggling. My ex was playing bigger, five, 10, 10, 20, could, as in heaps of makeup. And we couldn't pay rent. We were living with our friends and they were all just like, Marley, like you just have to quit. Like, you know, Michael's already in makeup. He's playing bigger. He's got more earning potential. He's already in this. Like you, you just started, like, you're gonna have to, you could get a job, just get a job. And I was like, so angry that like, I was, that they, except for Josh, like everybody else in the group was like, you know, just go get a job. Someone was like, oh, you should be a poker dealer and nothing against poker dealers. I was like, I want to do this. Like, I want to be here. And just kind of felt like, you know, he had been doing it for so long and he was in makeup. It's not my fault. Like I just started, give me a chance. And then it was literally like a week later, I just started crushing. And it was like, it was like a switch flipped in me. And I just like started crushing for like two years. I just was like, boom. And I was win, win, win. And I move up, move up, move up. And it was crazy. I just, cause I kept winning, I kept moving up. And I just had this like, I just like knew that it was like now or never, like I have to win or Josh is like, not going to stake me. I'm not going to be able to do this. I have one chance here. I have to make it work. And so it just, yeah, it just, it just clicked. And then I um, ended up breaking up my boyfriend. And of course, you know, Josh still staked me for a little while after we broke up because, you know, of course, and I was nervous about that. I was like, Oh, you know, it's my ex's friend. Will he drop me? Because that's, and of course he was like, no, no, no. Our professional poker relationship has nothing to do with Michael. Like, you know, yeah. So he's, he's, and which is like the right thing to do, obviously. Of course. Like if you're a, if you're a net positive horse, why would I cut ties with you because of some, because of personal issues? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't even to do with him. So he's taken for a while. And then I, at this point I was playing like five ten in Vegas and, um, I, how did this happen? I, I, I have a friend, Matt Berkey, who was playing in the big game, a huge 200, 400 game at Aria and Ivy, and Ivy's room. And I know Matt for many years. And he was like, you know, I can get you in this game. Would you be interested in playing? Around that same time, I met um, the person. I won't, I don't, I don't know well, if I should. Well, uh, before we yeah. move forward, you said the 200, 400 big game is the game that yeah. Berkey's playing in. So why did Berkey think he could get you in the game versus other people? Just because I'm a, I mean, because I'm a girl, because I'm a girl, because I had just come out with my vlogs. I just think that, that in, in those kind of environments, I think that they just kind of want some, I don't know. I, I, I think it's mostly because I was a girl, 
you know. Uh, most likely right. Um, and every private game or big game that I've played in, them wanting girls to be around has been a major component to the whole situation. They're obviously fair. Galfon's very open about she plays with me all. She's been playing in the game for many years. Um, of course, Phil's not allowed, but uh, fair, <laughs> fair is a regular. Uh-huh. And very competent, good player as well. But like, you know, fair is very fun. She's cute. She's, you know, and um, a couple of the girls that are, that are, that are great players too. And, and, you know, it, it, and that's what I'm saying. Like I, I, I mentioned this in my podcast recently, but you know, I, I always think it's important to mention that like, it is a net positive being a woman in poker. You know, we deal with so much shit, but like, it's, I think we still come out ahead because we just get more opportunities and well, that's just what it is. Yeah. The, especially when you have talent, right? Because it, it's disruptive. It's not something that you see every day is a talented female poker player who's playing higher stakes that's fun to play with um because you know it's 90 percent robots and hoodies who aren't talking and take 30 seconds exactly for every single decision so like it's disruptive when there is a female who's having success and i think that that brings in opportunities more opportunities than than a male who's having the same success at the same moment in the same age like the only difference is that they are female it's just it's a thing that happens. And also, you know, I, I have found in my experience, which basically is a limited sample size, I would say compared to like your experience, because you're always at the table with a girl (laughs) because you are a girl. Um, but you know, the biggest regret in my career is not taking up for people when they've been talked down to and just really horribly mistreated. Um, but I don't know how prevalent it is. Cause like I said, I, I, it's a limited sample size. And what I'm learning through interviewing and having these discussions is that it's not as common as maybe I once thought that it was in the poker world. I think it's a lot less common the higher stakes you go. That makes sense. But, but I will say that if you're playing in a one, three or two, five game in a casino where it happens more, it's an environment where there's a million games in the city. You can get up and leave whenever you want. You don't have to be here, whatever. If it happens, and I've seen it happen um, in like the private high stakes games, you're kind of fucked because like you really can't make a big deal about it because it's like in that environment, there's no room for complaining. Like you're lucky to be here. You know what I mean? Like that's it, my problem too, right? Like this it's, is it's there's no good way to handle it. It's like a dealer's getting treated like absolute dog shit and I'm invited to the game. And like, if I, if I say something like, this is the thought that goes is like, where's the line? Do I cross the line? Do I say something? I'm not going to get invited back. Like, what do I do? And ultimately in those situations, what I did was nothing the majority of the time and just sat back and felt horrible as it happened, which I do consider to be a regret. I wish I would have said more but it it, it's a shitty spot it really is yeah it is shitty and like i said it isn't too common and the private game that i'm talking about are good they're good people and i I know of some private games that people that run the game are just scummy and they like slow run and they like they do shit like really scummy shit and and i don't i refuse to be like kind of like jerked around like that and like I don't play in those games like, and like, I'm sure I could get into them and I have friends that play them, but it's like, I don't want to be 
I don't know. I don't want to be like embarrassed and like treated like shit just just to what sit here and like play twenty five hands view and hope I get run good. Yeah, you know I, mean? I mean, what's the? It's not worth it. And I'll say this about one, two, and one, three players just in general. In general, they are shittier people <laughs> than like they act shittier at the poker table than the high stakes players do. A uh, story that always comes to mind is I had been playing the ten twenty at Commerce for like a year, sixty hours a week. And I went back home and I went to play in this silly little one, two game because I was there to flirt with a dealer that I had a crush on who later becomes my wife. And I go to that game, I'm playing and I'm not shitting you. I played for like two hours and I got berated like four times by these, like I could not care less about this silly one, two game, but they are like coming at me. Um, And it was just really funny to me. Like, obviously, like, I don't care. Like, whatever, talk shit about a bad call or, like, I just don't care. But, like, it was just a funny juxtaposition of going, playing high stakes, nobody ever saying a word, playing small stakes, and just getting yelled at straight away multiple times in the first few hours. They're animals, man. And not all of them, but, like, they can be. I've had some bad, I've had some horrible experiences in low stakes. And all women have, but, you know, is what it is. Is what it is. Um. So you start playing the big game, right? Is that, that's where we left off? Yeah. So I got to the big game and it was, it was just coincidence or just right. This is right after my vlog came out, like four months after my vlog came out. So I was doing a lot of stuff at this point, kind of got popular relatively quick. And I was, what what year was this? This was two years ago, two years ago. So pretty, pretty recent. recent. Yeah. 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 Um, and I was at a charity event and happened to meet a pretty well-known poker player, who I won't name because I think whatever. I mean, some people know who it is, but um, and he happened to be friends with Josh too. And he, like, we 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 hung out. We had some mutual friends, and it came up about like, oh, like if you you know, like if you want me to like about staking me basically for big games. And he had a conversation with Josh. And I wasn't a makeup or anything. So Josh was like, Hey, like, you know what? Like my job is done here. And I'm, and like, he kind of recommended me, I think to this new guy, which is, that's a good thing too. Is like, I feel like when you have these different relationships and they end well, or they go well, it's just like, it's almost just like a reference for the rest of your poker career that you can always like point to someone and be like, Hey, if you want to know how I am, like talk to this guy. Yeah. It's, it's good business, right? Like if he could have been shitty because he's losing like a profitable horse to another backer. It's like, you know, in business when somebody quits a company and they like make him gather up all this stuff, have security come in and like escort him out just to embarrass him and be, be shitty. Like that person will never come back to work for you ever. If the opportunity they're taking falls apart. Right. But like when you have this good relationship with a clean break with somebody that's genuinely invested in you as a human and your progression. I mean, that's just an amazing way to do business. I was really lucky. I was really lucky. I mean, uh, yeah, it it was just like the right time. And I think, and Josh himself was getting into like trading and stuff and kind of moving out of poker. So even for those reasons, like he still stakes like a few people. Now I don't think he does anymore, but it was just the right progression. So this guy, so it just all happened at once. And then I, I, when Brookie was like, oh, do you want to play in this game? I called this guy. I was like, hey, I met you at this charity event. Do you remember? Like, whatever. And he was like, I was like, blah, blah, blah. This is the deal. And he was like, okay. So. <laughs> that easy. So, 
that was it. Like, well, cause we had already kind of like talked about it and, and whatever. Um, and yeah, I played in that game a ton. I played in that game a ton and, and How'd you it's, do? Really, it's going good. It's going good, but you know, how did it feel like playing those stakes? Like what were you playing before and then moving up to the big game? There's no, there's, there's no, I don't think there's anything that like prepares you for that level. I was playing at the biggest I played was 500 1k and mostly it was two, four or three, six, but I would buy in for 50, 60 K. So not deep. And you know, it's just like, like the, the biggest hurdle I think to get over is just the amount of money. And I don't think that like anybody can just get over that hurdle. It just takes time to realize like the first day I lost 150 K, you know, it was like taking a bullet and it's never good, but like, you know, it's just kind of- like effectively three buy-ins if you're playing two, four. So hundred big lines, it's not even, you're not even deep. It's like nothing. Right. And, and you just, it's just crazy. But, um, as long as your backer knows, like as long yeah. as they're familiar with the swings and the expectation, I think then it just kind of is what it is. Um, and I, I would imagine like as somebody that's been, that had been playing poker a lot at that time, I'm not going to say that the money doesn't matter, like the sheer amounts of it. But like, I've always found that like when I'm in the arena and there's a decision to be made, I just make the decision. And sometimes afterwards I'm like looking at the pot and I'm like, holy fuck, that was a big pot. But it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, about to shove a new car into the middle here. It's just like, there's a decision, you make it. And then maybe afterwards you're like, oh my God, that was actually kind of, <laughs> that was kind of a pivotal pot when, win or lose. Um, it's, it's anybody who tells you, I think that, that, that they can think about it in terms of big blinds, especially in the beginning is lying. It, even the, I, the last time I played this game was this past January and I just played a pot so fucking standard. Someone opened under the gun. I flat ace king under the gun one. Someone else calls big blind squeezes and I rip hundred big blinds Yep. and whatever he calls these aces. And I was let, and I get stacked and I'm just, and I was like, obviously the most standard hand ever. You would never, if that happened at two, five game, you lost 500 bucks. You just reload instantly you would never think twice about it. Right. Yeah. But like, I was like, cause I hadn't played the game in a few months and I was like my first time back and I was like, fuck, like uh, I've texting people about it. And they're like, Marley, like, what are you talking about? Like, you're insane. Why are you even like sending me this hand? And you just can't not think about it. It's tough. It's tough. It is. Has it gotten easier over? It's definitely gotten easier. It's gotten way easier, but, um, way easier. But, but, but I will say the good thing about it is that like now sometimes I'll play like 2550 or there's an, an anti game on Love at the Bike. It's a 5550, a big blind anti game, which is a huge game. But like the ones you've played two, four, three, six, nothing else feels big. Like, and I think that like that's kind of always a hurdle when you're moving up at stakes is like, I don't care how disciplined you are and how you are just a robot and you can think about things in terms of big blinds. When you're playing, when you jump that high, you, you, there's an adjustment period. Unless maybe unless for, you're like jungle man, you're just like an absolute machine or something. <laughs> for us immortals, like there's an adjustment period of like, holy shit. Like this is, this is real money. We're talking about here. This isn't too grand. And but that's the good thing now. Whenever I play anything smaller, this is a great game in Reno too. It's like 
25-50 game. But it doesn't, like, it, nothing, like, feels crazy to me now, you know, which is good. It but is. About it. And I can just think, because when you can get rid of that, when you get rid of that, I mean, the, like, the actual thinking about it in money, that's when you play good poker. Because you can just zoom in to, like, it's just big blinds. Whatever, you know? And so. I've also found that it can also be a little bit damaging, too when you play big and then play smaller, as far as taking it the same level of seriousness, like I found that I can be prone. I got berated three times in the one, two game, <laughs> not because I was playing super well, but it was, I was there for a different reason and I just really didn't care. But like, have, have you found that you've struggled maybe moving down to like 10, 20 or 25, 50 after playing super big that it's like, eh, whatever I can, whatever one buy-in it is what it is. Um, not that stake, but I guess 2550 is still pretty big. Yeah. Well, even, I mean, even like, so like, I think the best game in Vegas value wise, all around best game is two, five at the win, $1,500 cap. It's just always soft. You can easily make five, eight K in that game easily. And it's super soft and like it, it plays super deep. It's a great room. And you know, I play that. I would li- literally play that game. I'd walk into win. I'd see six regs in the back battling it out at ten twenty. I'd be mm-hmm. like, "Hey, well, like, I'm going to play this two five game where they're giving out free money, <laughs> right?" And we're like, and like, I would play the big game, like, in the same, you know, two days later on a stake. But it's like, okay, well, like, this is my own money, and okay, like, winning five k, like, would be nice for me. It's you know what I mean. It's real money. Like, I think if if I start playing like you know, 25, 50, 50 cent online or something and trying to actually take that seriously. It's really hard. Yeah. Oh, that, that's a pretty tough game, but like, you know, live one, two or something with like a hundred dollars, like winning 80 bucks to me, obviously doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. Who cares? So, right. So it's like all about what's relative to your life. And to me, if I can actually win or lose a substantial amount of money, which to me, five or 8k is a substantial amount of money to me at this part of my life, you know? It would make me feel good. So, so I can take it seriously. So I think that's what it's all about. But we actually had, we just had um, Marty Mathis on our podcast and uh, he's such an animal. He was talking about like how he accidentally registered like a $16 tournament a few days ago when he was like in all five days and his friends were like, dude, just punt that, like whatever, get that out. You're like in all these day twos. And he's like, I can't, like I have to take it. He's so, <laughs> he like, doesn't have that thing in his, what he wants to find. Like he's so serious. Every tournament he takes serious, no matter what it is. He's, he's really one in a million because I can't do that. No, I cannot. I cannot either. That would be like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not investing my focus and energy on this silly little $16 tournament while playing a 5k. I will say it, it's funny that you mentioned that the, the players in the back are playing the bigger game, like grinding it out, six regs, playing against each other at a higher stake. I'm going to give away strategy here. Maybe, maybe nobody will ever listen to this, but I am not a tournament player, so I don't play a ton of tournaments, but I play cash. And like I said, I lived at the Commerce in LA, playing cards there. I, I like the Commerce. I enjoy the LA area. And one year I went to the WSOP, which I normally didn't go to, but I went there and I was playing the 10 and a quarter game 
at the Rio because I didn't know any better. Like I'd never go to Vegas, so I don't know where any of the good games are. And I'm playing the 10 and a quarter and there's like four commerce regs that I'm playing against. And I'm like, what in the fuck did I do? Like I came to Vegas to play with a bunch of commerce regs. And then like the light bulb went off in my head. Like if all the commerce regs are here, (laughs) who's back in LA with the people that actually have to work for a living and can't spend the week playing the WSOP in Vegas. So for a long time after that, it was every year WSOP time. I'm still grinding at the commerce because the games are just exceptionally good when all the regs are out of town, right? I know a lot of people would do that. I know a lot of people that would leave Vegas and go to like uh, San Jose. Oh, the Bay Area. Yeah. A lot of good games there too. Yeah. And they would just get out of town. But yeah, it's smart. You know. You got to go. You got to, you know. I think that. Why fight against the uh, current, right? That's, I mean, I'm a cash game player first and foremost too. And I think that's, we're always in chase of the value and not necessarily the like, whatever the glory. Like we don't really care about like, Oh, I, I need to be at the Rio during this time. Oh, I need to be seen to be, or even like, I need to be playing this fucking tournament and whatever. I've gotten a little bit more like that as time goes on because I'm like hungry for the scores, but, but we just want the value. I think cash game players and we don't care where it is. Yeah. I could honestly care less about me. Like the prestige of winning a bracelet is like, cool like i guess it would be okay for like a trophy case or resume or whatever but like it doesn't drive me like it just doesn't motivate me in the way that it does a lot of people not that there's anything wrong with bracelet hunting but it's just never driven me personally so you started your vlog right as you're joining the big game yeah so why did you start the vlog in the first place i guess what was the reason that you did that. And then was it hard to continue on vlogging as you're like, start playing the nosebleed games in Vegas? It was a wild year. Um, but yeah, it was all at once. It was very difficult. What I, I, I had been thinking about doing it for a year, um, bought a camera, the whole thing, did a bunch of filming and just always was like, ah, it's not good enough. Ah, whatever. I've known Andrew Nimi for many years. He was always very encouraging he's been very vocal about wanting a woman voice on the platform. And, and I've known him for, since I, the whole time I lived there, I've known him. So he was encouraging. And, but it's just so hard to put yourself out there. It really is. And I broke up with Michael, that, that boyfriend and uh, about two months before that. And I was kind of just in this like shitty space, um, obviously. And I was just in a really low part of my life. I was like post breakup. And I think that because I was just in this lowest place, I was just like, fuck it. I have nothing to lose. I'm just going to do it. And so I just did it. And it was amazing. I'm so glad I did. It was, it, it literally changed my life. Um, what, what about it was so amazing? Um, I mean, I was an actor for so long. I, I just love, I need, I need that creative outlet. I need that release and I can't just be grinding all the time. And it just felt good to, and it just opened doors for me. It just opened doors for me. You know, I, I started doing commentary and obviously I hosted Triton, my podcast. Like it just kind of opened doors and, and, and just kind of gave me an opportunity to basically the poker world open up to me and be like, Hey, like, why don't you taste everything we have to offer and choose what you want to do or not choose, but like choose what you want to focus on maybe. Right. And so that, yeah, that's what I did. I did, I did like everything that was offered to me or that, you know, I could. And 
uh, more recently, I've tried to narrow down on like what I really enjoy because obviously I, I wore myself thin, just going nuts for about a year. But it was it's easy. A- it's easy to do. And I'm lucky. Like I'm, I'm, I'm so lucky to have been able to do that. But yeah, and then especially, I did not win in the beginning in the big game, and I was just in general like it's just so hard. Poker can't be your side thing, you know. It, it's so hard to be in any kind of other major thing, whether you're a big time commentator, you're a big time podcaster, you're a big time whatever host, and then you're a crushing elite player. It's so fucking hard. It can't, it needs to take up all your fucking headspace, you know? It does. So. It's, it's very easy to get worn thin. I yeah. know from personal experience that like when it comes to coaching players, when it comes to releasing two podcasts a week, making YouTube videos, writing sales copy, creating courses for them to learn. Um, at what point is there the time for me to 100% take care of myself so that I'm in a position to be successful playing higher stakes poker online, right? Because if I'm going to play higher stakes poker online, I'm dropping everything. I don't have 10 balls in the air because I need to be taking care of my body. I need to be taking care of my mind. I need to eat the right stuff. I need to make sure that my sleep is on point every single day. And we only have so much energy in us that it's really hard to do all of these things at once. But I was feeling bad about myself the other day and somebody on Twitter recommended like the ADHD, the hashtag ADHD. And I clicked it and I saw like the first one was like Leonardo da Vinci wrote like 14,000 pages in his journal, never published anything, never finished the Mona Lisa, like had all of these projects that were never completed. And like all of his contemporaries thought he was like a flake, right? And he died believing that he was a failure and I, I like read that story and I was like, okay, I, I guess I don't need to be so hard on myself. <laughs> I do actually release some stuff and I do get some, some things out there, but like putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, especially in a public space is so hard because the trolls of YouTube, the pieces of shit on Twitter will do anything they can to try to knock you down. And I don't know why human beings want to do that to each other, but like if you're vulnerable and especially being a female poker personality in this world, like people are going to come at you and that's just, it's just going to happen. I think. Of course. And again, like I get asked this a lot and I, I say, you know, a lot of it I brought on myself when you come out and you make, when you, I, I am very blunt with how I speak and I'm very, obviously I made those vlogs, but it's not going for sake, but I made those vlogs because, you know, when Josh was staking me, when this current person is staking me, like I've always heard, you know, Oh, or she must be fucking him or like whatever. And, and he was my ex's best friend. It was like, we we're friends and the guy staking me now, same thing. And it's like, you know, I kind of was sick of hearing that and that, that image. And so I decided to just like make fun of it. But when you come out and you say those controversial things, the trolls are going to come at you even harder. Well, it's, and that's bull- it's bullshit. Like, yeah. I mean, again, like, well, I, I, you know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of this recently and, and I will say this, anybody who like, isn't out there putting themselves out there in some way, I don't even, I don't even listen to because it's like, you just think you're going to sit on the sidelines and hide behind your keyboard and and I, I can't watch any of your work. I can't watch any of your stuff and, and the way you're being vulnerable and then give you the same 
critique, but you can do it to me. That's not how it works. It has to be a two-way street. You know what I mean? At least you can't just sit there. So if you're going to sit there on the sidelines and, and complain about me, then I'm just going to ignore you and block you. Like you're that, out of my. It, it's, I can't remember the book, but basically I was reading about vulnerability in a book okay, and, and huh? Was it Brene Brown? No, it wasn't Brene Brown. It was, um, I believe, How to End the Stories That Ruin Your Life. And it was about this guy who's a teacher and he's teaching these people and like something broke down for him. He had like a real problem on his hands and like he had been teaching them for like six months or a year being there every single day. And like he had a moment of vulnerability when the people he was teaching realized that he doesn't have his shit together like all the time, right? And the feedback that he got from that, they were so relieved. They were mm-hmm. like, oh my God, you're a human. You know, you're not a robot. Like I feel so much better about myself. It makes you more relatable, right? And he said something that's always stuck with me and that's being, we look at being vulnerable as a very you know, precarious position to be because mm-hmm. people can judge us, they can come at us, but really being vulnerable is the strongest position we can take. Because when we're vulnerable and we, when we put everything out there, we don't have to have fear of being discovered. We don't have to have fear of somebody unearthing some skeleton in our closet, right? Because people just know. And so all the people that just sit back and snipe with stuff that they perceive to be out of alignment with their values or just whatever it is, like you're being fucking weak. You need to look in the mirror and realize that you're not perfect and nobody's perfect. And we have to start forgiving each other. Like we, we can't just, you know, there's the whole Ryan LaPlante thing, you know, that, that just happened and people are not forgiving Ryan LaPlante because he has not forgiven people, right? Like historically, and I like Ryan LaPlante. I think he's, I, I've, all my experiences with him have been positive, right? As a human being, but you can't ask for forgiveness from people when you're unwilling to forgive people yourself. And like, the reality is nobody's fucking perfect. We all make these mistakes. So like, we just, you know, just chill out, right? Like just practice some forgiveness. Yeah. It's this two. You're absolutely right. And then the other side of it is when you do fuck up, which I did think Ryan handled really well, is like, come up with a sincere apology, make it right. And then like, let's move on from it. And, and some people, some people don't do the apology part. And I think that that's on them. And, and some people can't admit when they fuck up or they can't admit when they misstep and, and that's not okay either, but I, it's just, yeah, it is just such a, I don't know. It, it's so, again, I just feel like if you're not out there in some way, putting yourselves out there and subjecting yourself to criticism, you don't get to have an opinion about me because like, <laughs> you don't know, you don't, because I'm not here like, like showing myself to you, like who I am as a person and, and I'm just leaving myself open to be attacked. And it, you know what I mean? And it's not fair. Not it's fair. not, it's not. The one thing, the, the one fear that I do have about Ryan is like him forgiving himself. Like, I really hope that he's able to forgive himself because he said that, you know, what he said and how he acted will stay with him forever. And I think that like, we also need to practice self-forgiveness on ourselves so that we can, you know, move past it and keep doing good things and keep doing good work and keep helping to improve people's lives and, you know, whatever pursuit you're undertaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is. But, uh, okay, let's uh, sort of change gears. Your vlog, 
you recently released a video on your vlog, maybe yesterday, was it yesterday? Yeah. About the seriousness, which maybe, maybe I watched it right before we had this conversation and it like planted a seed in my mind. But um, can you tell me about you know, why, why you wanted to make that piece specifically? Um, it's, it's just making fun of the poker community in general, regs. And how serious, basically how serious we take each other. And, you know, we all see poker Twitter and every other day, there's, or every single day, there's a new drama about like, oh, this person or, oh, oh, we need to change this tournament structure. And, oh, this is a problem with this site. And, oh, this is a problem with this. And like 95% of the community are recreational fun players. And they we're not even on their radar, man. Like they're just out there fucking having a good time. And I really wanted to just like make this, funny thing to be like hey like and myself included we're out here fucking arguing on twitter acting like idiots fucking trying to pick apart everything wrong with this industry and all the shit and and the people that we that like that make up most of the industry don't even fucking notice us so we're stupid you know what i mean you know what i mean oh i'm so guilty of investing energy like trying to tweet at platforms when things go bad like because I do feel like winning poker players are taken advantage of on these platforms and we really have no recourse because of lack of regulation. And that's why people go to Joey Ingram and like, Hey, solve this issue for me, Joey Ingram. Cause he can put social pressure on promotions to like do something right. Otherwise they're probably just not going to do something. And what I've realized is it's just a, it's such a dumb battle to fight because nothing's going to change. My, my opinion of them is not going to move or make any sort of impact on how they do business. And so me getting angry and investing energy into it is just such a foolish waste of time. And I'm also so guilty, guilty lately of spending so much time on poker Twitter, just reading through all the, the opinions of the opinions of the opinions, and then like having an opinion myself. And I'm like, why am I in this loop? Like I want to, I aspire to be more like, Nick Howard, who will just delete Twitter from his phone, disappear for a month, and then say something controversial and just delete the app again and not get sucked into the vortex, right? That's the best. I mean, obviously, there are some smart people in the community. Mike McDonald comes to mind, you know, some others that that are fucking legitimately smart people. And, you know, obviously, it's just a joke video. But, but like, yeah, it's just like, and, and again, I like to help someone like Pads will come out. Patrick Leonard and uh, you know, talk about forming unions and the problems with the sites. And he's such a smart guy. And, and, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't have those conversations. I'm just saying like once in a while, can we look at ourselves here and realize that like we're idiots, like we're over here fucking screaming at each other on fucking Twitter. And meanwhile, most of our fucking community who we need to survive by the way. And frankly, the sites don't give a fuck about us. Like they don't need us. We're just leeches on their fucking bottom line. So we're idiots. So we can laugh at ourselves. <laughs> I remember, I think there was a, a thread with Doug Polk and somebody else who were just like sniping back and forth about the Negranu and stars situation. And like, what's funny is they were overall agreeing with each other. Like they agreed with the exact same sentiment, but they were like viciously battling each other. And I, I like retweeted. I've never seen so I've never seen people just so viciously agree with one another before. Like why, why is it, why is everything, it just feels so serious all the time and poker should be fun at the end of the day. Like that's why I started playing cards because I enjoyed it and it was fun and I don't show up at a live table 
and try to make the game less fun, right? We show up to try to make it an enjoyable experience for everybody involved so that other people come back. And yeah, who knows? Poker Twitter is just like a black hole. I need to extract myself from it. I don't know that it's bringing me much value in my life. There's something else about Twitter too. I mean, I've I've talked about this a little bit in my podcast, but I I really try to make a point whenever there's a disagreement agreement with me with someone on Twitter, I always message them or call them if I have their number or text because it's like, you know, so much is fucking lost in translation. So much is lost in just the lack of communication. Tone. Yeah. And so like, you know, instead of like, I used to just get mad and be like, oh, fuck this person. And then then just like block or like, like bury deep inside or whatever. And like, that was it. But now if it's someone reasonable, obviously if it's just some random idiot from Nebraska who just hates me, fuck him. But what's wrong with Nebraskans? (laughs) (laughs) From from anywhere. Um, (laughs) But yeah, if it's someone in poker who has mutual friends or whatever, I will always message him and be like, yo man, like, sorry. Like, can we just chat? I, I don't think it's a misunderstanding here. So I think that that's really important. And it's really fucking hard to do that. It's so much fucking easier to just be like, I don't like that person or whatever. It's I, mean, just, I bet you if you fucking talk to them for five minutes, not on Twitter, you probably would like empathize with them a little bit. For sure. And I think that's, that's missing is, are these private dialogues about our differences? And at the end of the day, guess what? it's fucking okay to have differences. Like it's okay to have different opinions. We don't need to everybody have the same opinion about everything. Like why are, why are we the more morality police, uh, especially in the poker community that's like, you need to believe this. And if you don't, then you're a scumbag and I hate you, period. It's just kind of silly to me. Yeah. Or just like confrontation's shitty. It just is. It's shitty and it's hard, not just in poker, but in life, it's hard to, face your problems head on. It's, I'm guilty if I hate doing it, you know, and just hold a grudge or just be like, fuck that person and write them off. It's so much harder to just face them head on and be like, Hey, can we hash this out? Like, and I, I try to do that more often than not. So yeah, it's, it's a sign of strength and we have a negativity bias just as human beings, right? Like I notice it as a coach where I release a thing that like 20 people participate and then one person gives negative feedback. And what do I do? I stew on the one person who gave me negative feedback and not on the 19 who are singing my praises from the heavens, right? I just stew on this one person. I'm like, what did I do to you to make you hate my shit when everybody else thought it was awesome, right? I think that's just kind of how we're hardwired as humans. Yeah, and I think to that, I would, for myself, what I try to do is, because sometimes like, Sometimes you do step out of line or I do say I or anybody else say something that's out of line or I make some content that's not funny or stupid. But like how I like how I do things is I have a few people in my life that I like trust their opinion, whether it's Spraggy, my dad, some close friends that like if they're telling me, hey, like you're out of line, which they always will, then I fucking know that I'm out of line. But like I outside of that close circle of trust or people that I really revere and think highly of, you know, I'm just going to go with my fucking gut. I'm just going to do what I think is right. Yeah. It's like getting feedback on poker, right? Some people you trust that think of very, very high level and 98% of the people are like, no, I don't fucking, I don't care about your opinion because I just don't trust it. I don't care about it. 
it's everybody's fallible. Like we, we all, everyone is fallible at the end of the day. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. And you know, uh, the creative process is so hard. It's so fucking hard to every time I put out a video or a podcast or I do, when I host a try in, like I, it's just, it's so hard for me to get the courage to like put myself out there again against the firing squad. And if, if you just let the, those negative voices get to you, I would never get out of bed. I, I need to just say, fuck you because otherwise I've never got out of bed. There's a book called, uh, do the work by Stephen Pressfield that resonates with me. It's like a very short book and it's just about resistance. And it's like, you, you always, when you press publish, you face so much resistance. Everything in your body is like, Oh, I don't want to like, should I do this? I don't think it's, I don't want to do this. Maybe it's not good enough. Maybe people are going to hate me. Like you just always feel this resistance before you do anything. And it's not appreciated as much by people who don't aren't putting themselves out there constantly. But look at Leonardo da Vinci, right? Going back to that. How hard was it for him to press publish and to create a thing that he puts out there? You know that he felt that resistance in this like major, major way. And it sort of dictated how he, you know, did his work throughout his life. Yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard. And uh, yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't get easier. <laughs> no, it never does. No matter what, you can remove everybody from your life and go to Mars and make a video on Mars and turn the computer off directly as you press publish so that you never know anybody's opinion, but you're going to fucking struggle to press that publish button. (laughs) It's just going to happen 100%. You've heard me talk early and often about how improving your awareness while you're playing cards so that you make better decisions in the moment and notice trouble spots that merit deeper consideration is one of the most valuable things you can do to make more money on the felt. In my conversation with the only four-time WPT main event champion ever, Darren Elias, he told me that his ability to shut out all of the distractions in the world and fully focus on making great decision after great decision is his superpower he most attributes to his success. And you cannot improve your awareness at the tables without being fully present. When you learn how to stay fully in the moment on the green felt, you can finally have a clear path to becoming the absolute best version of yourself, which leads me to Jason Sue. Jason is one of the foremost authorities on the planet when it comes to playing poker with presence. As a matter of fact, he even wrote the book on it. Here's a direct quote from Nick Howard at Poker Detox on Jason's ability to help you stay focused. Quote, Jason's work is a new paradigm in poker and performance. End quote. And these aren't just empty words. Nick has put his money where his mouth is by hiring Jason to coach up the Poker Detox crew. And as a loyal listener of Chasing Poker Greatness, you know by now that I would not be promoting anything I didn't 100% believe would improve your poker skills and your life. So if you want to master your emotions and perform at your peak with presence while doing battle in the arena, You'd be doing yourself a grave disservice if you didn't check out Jason's work at PokerWithPresence.com. One final time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. So let's move into the lightning round. Thus far, I've only asked one question on my uh, on my list. Um, oh. This is no, this is me. It's I go down these tangents and I never know where they end up, but. Uh, what would you say is the most unexpected thing to come from your poker journey? Just freedom in a, wor- a world of, of 
uncertainty, especially with COVID, you know, it just, I, I never like anticipated the freedom that poker could give me. And, and I'm, um, you know, it's amazing. It is. I did anticipate the freedom. That was why I got into poker. I wanted the freedom, right? You had more experience because your dad was in poker. Um, yeah. You were immersed in that world. I just had like this idea of it before I jumped in. Speaking of your dad, how, how does he feel now that, you know, you're a successful poker player? Oh, he's, he's very supportive. I'm, I'm lucky. A lot of people obviously you hear like their parents hated it for so long or whatever, but obviously from day one, he totally understands it and supports it. You know, he does have times, you know, even today where he'll be like, you know, you could do anything, you know, you could be a lawyer, you could be a doctor, you could be doing anything and why you want to sit in a casino because, you know, he just wants the best for me and whatever, but. Hey dad, you sat in the casino though. (laughs) Exactly. 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 But, but like, not even him, like he, he'll say like, he's, he's an amazing musician. He's, he plays piano. He's been playing his whole life and different bands and whatever. And he'll always tell me too, is like, you know, like, there's been so many times where like I didn't work harder in my music because I was busy fucking off like grinding or whatever. And, and it kind of, it, and it kind of can rob you of these artistic things because even me with the videos, like I actually get so much more out of making a great YouTube video or doing something creatively, even my podcast, like I, I it's so much more rewarding to me than just grinding a Sunday, a full Sunday or, or even having a big score. And for some reason, poker always pulls me back because whether it's fine, fine financially, like I still make most of my money from playing poker. I still, you know, I'm still very much a grinder and it's kind of this like thing that just keeps pulling you back, pulls you back. Yeah. It's once it gets its hooks in and once you have that skill to make a lot of money relatively quickly and you realize or at yeah. least I realized like, oh, it's hard for me. Nobody's going to pay me a hundred bucks an hour for my skill set in the real world. So like the option is, you know, just play more cards, right? Or even something poker related that you probably enjoy like this podcast or whatever. It's like, I don't make shit for my YouTube channel. I don't make shit. I make, I, I get paid for my, my podcast, but it's not, come on. It's not like amazing money. It's not poker money. Exactly. Um, yep. Even things I enjoy, it's like, okay, well, even if I wanted to just be like, okay, I'm going to become a full-time YouTuber. It's like, I'm not going to be making any kind of money for at least a couple of years. If that. Yeah, it's, it's hard. And what I've realized is like, if I sit back and wait for somebody to just give me a dump truck load of money so that I can, you know, fully pursue interviewing poker players for this podcast, it's never going to happen. Nobody's going to give me that money. Sites, platforms are not investing money into content creation. So like, if I'm going to do it, then I have to create courses. I have to create products. I have to do shit get coaching, charge more. Like you have to really take it upon yourself to make, to make it happen because nobody's just going to hand you the money. And about the, the content in general, like I'll be honest, I don't love promotion. I do not love making a show page. I don't love writing an intro or the description. I love this. This is what I love most about the process. Just these conversations that I get to have with awesome people, like we'll stop recording and then I'll just feel this rush of dopamine. And that's great to me. I really love this part of the process, but all the other stuff and yeah, the money, it's not very good. (laughs) It, it, It could be better, but yeah, it's, 
I love having these conversations. I always feel like I learned so much from everybody. Like you said, everybody in the poker world has, you know, everybody that I've interviewed is intelligent, well-spoken, makes me think about maybe things that I haven't thought about before. And there's just massive value in that. I did have a question kind of off the cuff. A lot of my listeners, I know this is going to be shocking to you, but my demographic is about 96% male. What advice do you have for dads? Like I'm a dad, I'm a father of two young girls. What advice would you have for dads who are raising their kids and maybe are professional poker players or in the world of poker to, you know, do, do a better job, <laughs> I guess, is the <laughs> outcome? Um, I don't know. It's so hard because you have freedom, but you don't. Like when games are good, you have to play kind of, even though you don't really have a schedule. Yep. But I don't know. I, I guess like I, I I always appreciated that my dad kind of leveled with me and was open and honest with me about what he did and how it was and stuff. And I think maybe some kids can't handle that, can handle that and they that would freak them out. But I think that it just kind of lets them understand that they can really do anything they want to do. Like this isn't, and I think as we move to the next generation here, we're going to start seeing college, even the traditional path of college getting phased out a bit more. And people are going to start taking these, there's going to be no playbook for succeeding. And so just showing them that like, Hey, I'm doing this thing because I love it. And it's not traditional, but, but like, you know, I take it seriously and this is what I do. And I think that kids see that and they, and they like, even me, like I, I've, even though I didn't play, like I saw him taking his risks in life and he went, he just went, when he saw something, he just went for it. And I went to, I moved to New York city when I was 18 and I was modeling, I was acting, I was doing all these crazy things, very high variance things. And I think because I saw him taking his risks and, and even though he failed sometimes, it's like, that's show them that. If you never fail, you're not taking enough risks. Yeah. Or, like that's just the reality because if you're taking a risk by nature, there is a large percentage that fail. So if you're never failing at anything, you're just not risking enough. Totally. Totally. Uh, yeah. What's your process look like for regularly improving your poker game? I mark hands and I run them in, and run them in Pio and stuff. And then I watch a lot of run at once stuff, but a concept never really like, hits home for me until I'm able to apply it consciously, mark the hands, and then ask somebody if I've applied it correctly. That's so when I really grow. So it's so, kinesthetic. Yeah. Well, like I can't, maybe I can't just watch an overbetting river value, uh, sorry, overbetting video on run at once or something and then implement it. I don't think anybody can just implement it perfectly. Or whatever. So it's like people, there's so many poker players too that I'm sure you know a lot of these that like they're so, they talk the talk and you talk with them and they're so smart and they know all the right things to say and they really like say all the right things and they talk the way through hands, but then you play with them and it's like, where did that go? Like, yeah, what happened? What happened? And I don't know. I just think that like because, because they spend, I think that's because they spend all this time studying. They like run all these Sims. They fucking run all these hands. They talk about hands. They're watching all these videos on fucking YouTube or run it once or whatever it is. But then they never, and okay, I know it. I know it now. Like, and it, they think that they know it, but 
you have to then the, the real learning process is then like trying to apply it. That's the fucking hard part in my experience. So that is when I really like cement that I know a, a like um, something's over. Yeah, there's a lot of monkey see, monkey do as well, where it's like, oh, I see somebody over betting the river here. And now we, then you think that, yeah, I understand it. So then you do it and you misapply it and then you get smashed. Because I think what's missing from like a lot of narration videos explaining thought processes and going deep like that, I've made this mistake many times myself. Now that I'm like trying to get more granular and try to think of like a progression of things that you need to know. Some of the decisions that I make, I needed to know like 17 different concepts before I even get to this spot so that I can make the right decision. And you can't just watch a video, see somebody do something and say, oh, I just check raise turn withdraws against aggressive players and think, yeah, that's the strategy. Like that's the takeaway. No, there's a lot of things that you have to understand before that decision even came up. And a lot of them, especially if you're, you know, narrating, our mouths are filters for what the brain is thinking. We don't always even say all of the things that we're taking into consideration because you just can't verbalize them all. So it's like poker training and learning poker is really hard. And to, to the people who sound intelligent, this is like a problem that plagues like two plus two and message boards in general are these folks that sound smart that everybody agrees with, but really don't know shit and are just speaking out of their ass and are bringing everybody down with them who misapply what they're saying. Like, it's just, there are these people that can sound super intelligent, but then when you put them in the arena, they fall completely apart and you realize, oh, um, I was listening to this dude that is not even close to a winning poker player. Because that's the first step. I, you know, the first step is being able to watch a video and like, okay, I understand why he's saying that. That makes sense to me. But like in game, there's a million factors that, that determine whether you should be making that play. And so if you aren't good at uh, calibrating which factors to over, to overrule or to like lean on and, and that leads you to making this play, like you really don't know. That's the fucking talent. That's what's hard. That's, that's really what's, what it is. And so, you know, a lot of people, I, I was told a lot when I was first started playing, like, you know, 80% study, 20% play, but I really don't, I really don't think that anymore. I, I think that it's 50, 50, or maybe even a little bit more playing, maybe even fucking 60, 40 play, 70, 30, well, because it's, it's just, just like, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. You, you might have, you, you have all these concepts and you've, you, you've, you've run all these Sims and you can see what Pyle looks like and you can even predict what Pyle will say, but like, who cares if you sit down and you shit yourself and you can't apply it? It doesn't well, mean anything. You can't really, like, this is the big misnomer. And something that's done a lot of damage to the poker world is just assuming you can even apply Pyo in real life and assuming that it's valuable to even apply it if you could as a human being. Because all the times in my life, that I've thought on a river like, uh, I don't really want to bluff here because I feel like this guy is just going to snap me off. And then I say, well, I have the perfect hand and I need to be balanced. So I need to bluff. And then I do it. And he snaps me off. And every time I think you are such a fucking idiot. Like now you get to tell your friends, Hey, I did. I I played the hand this way and at least I'm balanced, right? Like I lost a shitload of money, but now I can lay my head on my pillow at night and realize that I was balanced in this part of my range in this specific spot. And at some point, it's just like, no, like just you can't implement Pio. 
many things are not binary decisions and you just do the best you have navigating in a world of unknowns. Like anybody that wants all the, the variables, to know all the variables before they sit down at a table to be able to make perfect decisions is going to fail. So many decisions are unknowns. Like we don't know. We're, we make some assumptions that may be true, they may not be true, but we'll never know. And just embracing that unknown is just, it's a foundational piece of what, to me, makes a great poker player. Somebody that says, I don't know. Like, I'm confused. I don't know which, what the right play is here. Like, I have so much respect for that person who can then maybe investigate and have curiosity to learn than the person that just has all the answers. No. If you have all the answers, I don't want to associate with you in the poker world because you're full of shit. Totally. And, and, and not being afraid to look stupid. I remember asking Josh stupid questions like, why do I see bet? I remember, like, the, I remember when I when he explained to me like turning equity was like good cards to bluff on because then you can get there sometimes. Like I remember when he told me that it was like, <laughs> like I had to fucking like ask the question. Like I asked so many fucking stupid questions. I was never afraid to look dumb. And I think that, you know, that's, that's, that's be, be like being free to look dumb is, is not a bad thing. You know what I mean? Absolutely not. I I tell my students, like, if you have a dumb question, just ask it because we learn. Like, that's how we learn and grow. When we ask a question that we're unsure of, I can give feedback, right? Like when we do our coaching sessions, I make them record a video, explain their thought process of why they're doing everything they're doing. You can look at a database, a hand history review, look at a hand that's played in your opinion perfectly, but it's done for all the wrong reasons, right? And then that's not valuable. Like that, that player is still going to suffer if we don't address those issues. So even knowing like the why behind people are doing what they're doing is valuable from a coaching perspective. Well, yeah. And, and to that point, I wanted to say something too, is like, I have never done any mental game coaching and I've been thinking about it because like a lot of it too, like, isn't even, even, isn't even about understanding theory. Sometimes you're in a game and then you have to, I have to ask myself, am I doing this because it makes more chips or because I want to flex that I know this spot or I, I, I know this is a good bluff, a bluff combo and I can't help myself because I have a good bluff combo, even though like this guy's never fucking ever, ever folding or like this is a $4 tournament or whatever. Mm-hmm. Am I, or am I just fucking tilted? Am I just frustrated? Like genuinely ask yourself, like, why are you fucking doing this? And I guarantee you sometimes it's not because you genuinely think it's making more chips. It's just because whatever, you know, and we're, so we're emotional creatures like, and our emotions are so much more powerful than our logical and rational thought. And this is another thing that's like taken out of the equation when it comes to playing poker is like, yeah, we're not logical. We're not rational all the time. We're fucking human beings. This is part of our nature. So I, I think, yeah. I was just gonna say, I think that also, that is something that I've learned too, is like the most elite best players don't actually do things that much different than good players. They're just more consistent. They just like people like sometimes think like, I have to make these big adjustments to my game to like take it to the next level. It's like, you really don't. They're just like, never, they're just never punting. They're just so consistently like they're like fucking robots and they just make more good decisions than you. I'm not, I'm going to admit this might be controversial, but I don't even think they're robots. I just think they manage their emotions much better than a typical human, right? Yeah. No, no. I mean, like, I think that like the, the thought is that we're just like shut down and we're just 
you know, making good decision after good decision. But like, like you said, the mental game work, we all need mental game work. This is what I've learned by hanging out with high level poker players is that we all struggle in the mental game. We struggle with managing our emotions. And those guys like a Phil, Phil Galfon, for instance, is not a robot. He took Brett time off during the challenge so you can see he's not a robot. He was being affected emotionally. It's just he deals with it much better than his contemporaries. And that's the difference. It's not that he doesn't feel the emotions. He just deals with them in a much healthier and better way than his competition. So yeah, I think get some mental game coaching. This is always like, yeah. I, I think the my my advice for all the things is basically just try something. And like, if it's horrible and you hate it, then just don't ever do it again, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely think I want to at least look into it for sure. Elliot's so expensive. <laughs> yeah. But he, we've had him on the pod. He's great. And in this, you know, this, there's so many options and like ways to go down with that. I mean, I've thought about getting into just like general therapy again too, just for my own mental health, but, um, but maybe just like a sports psychologist more for poker. I don't know, but I'm exploring, sure. exploring it. Cool. Go for it. few more questions. I know you look like you're struggling with the heat in your house. I'm also struggling very much right now too. When you think about joy in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I don't know. I, I think, I think like just that, like that first month I was profitable. Like when I was just like, Oh wow. I like when I first settled up with Josh and I like handed him money and I was just like, felt good. You know what I mean? Sure. Especially like, when the feedback that you had been given was that you should take a break and go be a waitress to make money or whatever. Yeah. I'm sure that was very gratifying. Yeah. just, just stuff like that. I mean, but frankly, nothing, nothing compares to like the vlog and, and the creative stuff I've done because like I've had to like, I mean, I've had to grow as a person at in poker as well, but like I've really had to grow as a person by putting out stuff that's like personal and like special to me, part of me. So that's what I'm way more proud of. I believe that because you continue doing the vlog. And like we said, it's not for the money. (laughs) So it has to be for another internal reason, right? Yeah. And even the podcast, like I try in was very difficult for me. I did, I hosted two try ins and like, I thought it was gonna be really easy. I just would come in and, Oh, we just like shoot the shit on break and oh hey, I'm here with I Caxton, like how's it going? Whatever. How it's easy. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. My podcast was so hard in the beginning for me. Like I it's really hard for me to interview people because I'm fine if I would just facilitate my own shit. Like if I'm responsible for myself and I suck and whatever, but it's like facilitating somebody trying to like paint them in the best light and like show their best self, that gives me so much anxiety. And I've just been forced to do it and it's like forced me to grow. You know what For I mean? Sure. Do it. So. Yeah. The, the host doesn't get the, you know, it's not about us, right? It's like, you're yeah. my guest on my show. My job is to help facilitate you sharing your story and make you look good. And if I do a bad job, it is 100% my fault. And I feel like absolute shit as soon as I stop recording. And I'm like, man, I just didn't serve my guests in Mm-hmm. You know, the best possible way that I could. So yeah, there's, there's a ton of that pressure that comes with this gig and it, it, it can be tough. It really can. Yeah, for sure. When you think about pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? That's so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
just like so many, so many nights in the beginning. It wasn't even when I was playing full time, but when I was waiting tables, I was living on like a block off the strip. And um, I lived at Meridian. It's a well-known apartment complex in um, Vegas. And I would play all night, lose all my money and then go to work often on no sleep. So many nights, like just grind. So I, I one time I lost 6K in the pit, just spewing. And, you know, I've had some fucking bad nights in the pit early on in Vegas, just, just going mental. And, and again, like it's stupid. And, and like, I think that everybody who's lived in Vegas has gone through some kind of leak. And then once you do, it really burns. And like, again, it was like my own money and like, whatever, but like, ha- like losing all your money. Walk- I play at Bally's. I'd walk home at like six in the morning, broke. And then I have to be at work at eight. It's just like, I hate my life. You know what I mean? This sucks. You know, I have to go like bust my ass for like 200 bucks or less. And yeah, I did that so many, so many times in the beginning. I believe it. It's such a common, such a common pitfall, especially for young people. And like, I had a, a slot machine issue early on in my career where it's just easy to get the dopamine hit. You just, you get action all the time. We don't need to wait until we flop a set to get all the money in. Like we're just continually getting action and got burned again pretty early on for like 5k. And then I kind of realized like, Oh, this does not feel good. I'm going to stay away from the slot machines. And luckily I just, now I just stay away. I can't even, I don't even want to get near anything for any trivial or even small amount. I'm like, just keep me away because my nature is to just press. And that is a horrible, horrible thing to do while you're in the pit. Yeah. There's so many things, hookers, strippers, like there's some drinking drugs, so many people, you know what I mean? It's just like, there's so many life leaks. and And all it takes is one. Yeah. 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 You just go crazy one night. Sports betting is a big one too. Mm-hmm. Like luckily I've never been to that, but, and again, it's just like, it's just when you're a poker player, you have to, it's nothing wrong with going through that. I don't think it's maybe even necessary. You just need to snap out of it. You need to have a hard pep talk with yourself and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing something really tough. I'm responsible for my own self. I need to be an adult here, you know, and just whatever. And, and frankly, like it's, and you know, I, I have some hacks that I've done too. Like now when I get in that mode, I'll even say like, okay, like I'll go play some drunk one too. Cause like, at least I'm fucking profitable. You know, at least like <laughs> even if I'm drunk playing one too, like, and I lose 500 bucks, whatever. You know okay, what I mean? Right. Like, I'm making money in this. It's not like when you spew in the pit or you spew in sports or you get a hooker or you whatever, buy fucking Nate ball or whatever. It's just, it's always a bad decision. You're never coming out ahead. At least if you spew poker, it's like, whatever, you know? Yeah, just buy into a small stakes tournament and just drink and fuck around, right? Like, yeah, tournament with your friends. Yeah. The downside, the downside is very small, very small downside. Yeah. Um, if you could gift all poker players one book, what would it be and why? It doesn't even have to be a book on poker. Um, I'm not a big reader. <laughs> okay. Can't lie to you. Piece of um, content then. Piece of content. Um, I'm into like a few YouTubers. I'm really into Andrew Schultz right now. He's a comedian, makes YouTube videos. Um, Gus Hansen, uh, Gus Hansen, Gus Johnson. I love comedian on YouTube. Um, I love Liza Koshy and David Dobrik. I love a lot of YouTubers, um, comedians. Very funny, very witty. 
And I'm actually, Spraggy bought me a book on Andy Kaufman, which I'm reading right now, which is like a little, you know, biography. And yeah, I mean, I just, I like to, to kind of, just, I just watch stuff that like inspires me. Documentaries? Any good documentaries? Documentaries? <laughs> um, oh, we're, me and, well, me and Spraggy have been really into Louis Theroux lately. I'm watching a lot of his old stuff. Do you know Louis Theroux? I don't. He's a British um, documentarian. I had never heard of him until about a month ago, but he's been around forever. And he's done a ton of stuff, you know, you know, a lot of stuff with in America, like about race and like homophobia and like crazy. He did one on like prostitution in Las Vegas and he's and his stuff's really good. So I've been really enjoying, enjoying that. Nice. That's uh always looking for more documentaries to watch instead of Silicon Valley for the fifth time. What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? Project that I'm working on. Um, I mean, I'd be lying if I'm saying, if I said I was actively working on it, but my biggest goal in poker has always been to write a like sitcom about poker, like for mainstream TV. Really? Why, why a sitcom? Because I just always, I mean, I'm always going to take like a humorous view of, of poker. It's, I'm never going to be serious. I'm just not my voice. So, and, and it's just funny to me. There's so many things that happen in poker that I see and I'm like, this is insane. And just funny. Like I, even the Twitter stuff, I was like, I, I look at that and I laugh. I'm like, how, like even me, like I do something and I can't help but laugh at myself. Like, look at me. I'm just an idiot over here. Like arguing with fucking Dan O'Brien or fucking Matt Glance or whoever it may be on Twitter, <laughs> like about fucking rig structures. It's stupid. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think that would be like my biggest dream project, but you know, so it will ever come to fruition. I think there's space for it. I mean, the league exists and it's fantasy football and it's great. So why, yeah. why not, why not the league for poker? Yeah. I have to think of like, even like big bang theory, it's like kind of scientist nerds, like a bunch of like grinder nerds. But like, the problem is like with science, like everybody understands it you know, whereas poker, there's like this gap of knowledge. You have to explain to people. It's much more niche. How. Yeah. Much more niche. And basically the league is, is niche, you know. But I don't know lots of people love football though. And lots of people, lots more people love fantasy football, I think, than poker. For sure. I think that, and even if they don't, you can explain what it is in literally five minutes to anybody. Poker right. is a little bit more like, is it real money? Like, what is it? Like, how much do you lose? <laughs> it takes a, it takes a while. So I would even love to do like, I would love for someone to come in and like, uh, sponsor like a really well-produced version of my blog just for YouTube and be able to do some like really like nice budgeted, like comedy videos on YouTube. You know, that would be great. So. Yeah. I mean, why not? Like yeah. there, there's obviously a space for vlogging on YouTube, like Brad Owen, has just gone to the moon, right? Um, There's a big appetite for that. So I think the opportunity is probably there. All right. Uh, It's been great having you on the show. And the final final question is, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Marley Poker on YouTube and uh, Marl's TV on Twitch. Uh, Marley Cordero on Twitter. Marley.Cordero on Instagram. And I have a podcast on Run It Once called The Rake on YouTube. So, yeah, that's it. (laughs) 
Check out the podcast, The Rake, and all the other things that will be on the show page for you to click through. Thank you very much for your time. Let's do this again once the world comes back to normal. And we both have air conditioning, for the love of God. Yeah, Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.